listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. What an incredible reminder what he did for us. Today, of course, we celebrate Easter. Why are you here today? Probably a lot of you have different reasons why you're here. Some of you, maybe, hey, you heard they had a breakfast. You're like, oh, I get free breakfast. Maybe it was the biscuits and gravy that got you here. Maybe it's just the routine. Maybe you're here because this is what you do every Lord's Day. You come and you worship with God's people. Maybe uh, you're here because you felt obligated. It's kind of the cultural thing to do. You do this on Easter and you're here. That's why you're, uh, you're present. Some of you, maybe it's a free lunch from the parents, okay? They said, hey, if I come, I get some free lunch or uh, grandma's cooking, and you don't want to miss grandma's cooking. I don't know. I don't know why each of you are here individually, but I do know definitively why we celebrate this day. It is all centered in a person, and that person is none other than Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was called the Son of God, God's Son. But those of you who have studied theology, you also know that Jesus was none other than God in the flesh. His name was also Emmanuel, which meant this, God with us. Jesus was God with us. And this particular holiday, Easter, is the day that we commemorate one of the crucial events in Jesus' life. Now, all of us have different crucial events in our lives. We have our birth that we celebrate. We, maybe it's a graduation or an engagement. Uh, marriages are important days, but none of them, no event in your life is more important than the event that we are celebrating today. And that is the resurrection of the God of the universe from the grave Today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to answer a few questions in reference to Jesus Christ's resurrection. Over the last number of years, what I've done as a pastor here is wherever I've been at in my series, a few years ago, I was in Philippians, and I just continued on in Philippians. I was in Ecclesiastes one year, and I just continued on in Ecclesiastes. And some of you would say, Pastor Brian, you've been in Romans. Are you just going to preach another message from Romans on Easter so that the people who visit, they just know this is what we do every Sunday. And show us the resurrection through the text that you're in. Well, today, because many of you know I've been in the Holy Land for a number of weeks, I've already been out of my series. I thought it was appropriate for me to step back from any series and just talk to you generally about the resurrection. And so that's what I'd like to do today. I would like to answer some questions in reference to Jesus Christ's resurrection. Now, The news of Jesus' resurrection spread, as you read, as you heard in Luke, it spread like wildfire 2,000 years ago on on a Sunday morning. What if this morning you heard some fascinating news? I can still remember years ago, it was on a Sunday morning that I heard that Princess Diana had been killed the night, or that evening, and Word spread like wildfire that morning. 
What if you heard some incredible news this morning? What would you do? Well, as soon as you heard the news, you'd probably say, first of all, you'd consider the source. Okay, where did I hear this news? And if it was from like the Babylon Bee, you may be like, I don't know about that. However, there's been a lot of Babylon Bees that have actually come true, okay? Or you'd say this, I better get an eyewitness. I want to hear from somebody who saw that happen to know, did it actually happen? Did someone actually see it? Well, the news that came out 2,000 years ago on a Sunday morning like this morning was monumental. And I tell you that it demands your attention. Do you understand the resurrection? Do you understand what it implies for you? Do you believe in it? And if so, what does it mean for you moving forward? What should you give your life to if it actually did occur? Well, there's no better place to begin our investigation than in the Holy Scriptures. So let me invite you to turn to, you could say, the monumental text on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. Let me have you turn there, and I will look there in just a moment. Today, I'd like to answer three questions in reference to the resurrection. And the first is this, what is the resurrection? Well, the resurrection of Christ is one of the crucial pillars of the gospel. Of course, the gospel is what we call the good news, the message that everyone needs to hear if they're gonna ultimately have a chance to live forever with God in his presence in heaven. One of the elements, one of the pillars of the gospel is the resurrection, just like this auditorium. Uh, It has certain pillars or certain load-bearing walls that if you took out, let's say, one of these walls, this building would come crumbling. One of the supporting structures of the gospel and the truth of your faith is this idea of the resurrection. And if you pull this stone out, you pull this wall out, your faith will crumble. So let's, what, what is this? What, what is this pillar of the Christian faith that we call the resurrection? Well, these pillars, all of them are spelled out here in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me begin reading in verse 1. Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. And of course, Paul is basically saying, I'm about to share with you the pillars of the gospel that you have placed your faith on, and if you truly are a follower of Jesus, you're going to continue in these truths. And then he lays them out. Look what he says in verse number three. For I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, 
he appeared to me. So the gospel that Paul spells out in these eight verses that begin chapter 15, the gospel is that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he resurrected, and then he authenticated his resurrection by being seen by many. Today what I want to do is I want to focus on the fact that Jesus rose again and that he was seen consistently. The account of Jesus' resurrection is recorded in all four Gospels. This morning, I took a few moments to read to you his resurrection from Luke's account. If you want to read the historical accounts of Jesus' resurrection from various points of view, read the Gospels. Go to the historic documents themselves. The Bible presents that after Jesus died... He bodily arose again with a physical glorified body. It was not simply a spirit, but it was actual flesh. He came back to life. Other passages, if you read, once again, the historical documents after Jesus resurrected, that he could be felt, that he actually ate, He, Jesus, was the first to accomplish resurrection in what we would call the new body. Now, others had been resurrected. In fact, when I was in Israel, I had looked across the Jezreel Valley, and one of the mountains as we looked across it was Mount Tabor, and then there was Mount Mora. And right there on Mount Mora, on the far side of it, was a little city called Nain. And it was there that Jesus showed his power one day as they were leading out a son for a funeral. Jesus walks by and what does he do? He resurrects the man. Not far from Jerusalem where we spent a number of days was a town of Bethany. And of course it was there, you read the account in John 11, where two sisters are mourning their brother's death. And Jesus shows up at the funeral four days to make sure everyone's very clear this guy's dead as a doornail. And what does he do? He ministers to Mary and Martha. He speaks to one of their heads and reminds them of the truths of the resurrection. And then he speaks to the other's heart by weeping with them. And then what does he do? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he resurrects Lazarus from the dead. Others had resurrected. However, Jesus did something totally new. He began on that day, that first Easter, a new kind of human life. A life in which the body was made perfect. Where it was no longer subject to weakness, aging, or death. And able to live eternally. All those other people that were resurrected, they would die later on. Jesus extended their life. But what Jesus did that day was he brought on the new body, the one that all of us can anticipate. I believe it's for that reason, very possibly, and because God closed their eyes for a little bit, that that's why some people didn't recognize him initially. Did you read in the account how he kind of closed their eyes for a little bit? Many of the accounts indicate that there was some continuity 
with what Jesus looked like. It's almost like, you know, you go to a reunion. Maybe you go to your 50th high school reunion. And you look at that person and you're like, I can see who that is. I can't, they've gotten a lot older. But I can still see that person in that face. Well, it was almost like the exact opposite. Jesus, you know what? It wasn't that he got a whole lot older. He got a whole lot younger and looked a whole lot better because he had the first prototype example of what all believers who believe in him, the body that you and I will receive. He was the first fruits of it. He was restored to its full, youthful, perfect health. That's what happened. That's the resurrection. Now, Jesus' resurrection has been attacked ever since Jesus' resurrection. Immediately, of course, we know if there was a cover-up, the soldiers guarding the tomb were bribed into saying that his body was stolen. Read Matthew chapter 28. Some have said that, you know what, Jesus actually didn't die. He, he didn't die on the cross. It was basically, he got, when he got into the cold tomb, it kind of like helped resuscitate him and that he really didn't die. That's one of the charges against Jesus. In fact, in a, a famous book that is addressing some of those charges, many of you have read The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He interviews Dr. Robert Stein, a respected forensic pathologist, who examined the historical documents of Jesus' crucifixion and looked at it from a medical point of view. And he basically states to anyone who would claim that Jesus merely fainted on the cross, he said this, it's impossible. It's a fanciful theory without any possible basis in fact. You read what happened and you read what happened to his body in the accounts, he died. Furthermore, his resurrection was so clearly attested. Consider the proofs. Number one, the empty tomb. You know, many of you know I've visited the Holy Land on five different occasions. And there's two proposed sites for where Golgotha and the garden tomb are. One would be called Gordon's Calvary. It's one that you often see in pictures of people who are visiting there. It feels just like the place where Jesus uh, would have been crucified. There's a skull that, I mean, there's a place of the skull that looks like it. There's a tomb that's nearby, as the scripture says, and you go there and it just feels like the place. We went there. We visited that. We went in the tomb. It's empty. But there's another place. It's a place called the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And it's an ancient place. In fact, just a few centuries after Jesus died and resurrected, they built a church on the location. It is the earliest earmarkings of the actual place. It doesn't feel like the place because you walk in and there's all this religious ceremony and there's all these things that have been built in place of it. But... Let me tell you, it very well could be the place. 
And every time I've gone, there's never been a chance that I've gotten to go into the actual crypt, the actual place where the tomb was chiseled out. They've built all this stuff over it because there's pilgrims who are going there. And sometimes the line is like two to three or four hours. And other trips, I've showed up real early in the morning and tried to get in there. And right before I got in, they shut it down for a mass. Or they, uh, one time, one late, one late I, I waited in line for like an hour. And right before we got in there, They closed it down. Well, guess what? This here. I was in Jerusalem one evening, right before the Church of the Holy Sepulchre closed. We said, let's just try it out. And guess what? I got in. And I went into the most ancient belief of where the tomb is. And guess what? It is empty. But guess what? It doesn't matter that it's just empty 2,000 years from now. It was empty on the third day. So one of the proofs is he resurrected. Another one was the witness of those women. The witness of the apostles. They saw him. The transformed lives of Jesus' brother, James. And the others, such as the apostle Paul, whose life totally changed. Why? Because he had seen the risen Christ. Not only that, he was seen by over 500 witnesses at one time. And I would believe one of the most convincing things is this, the martyrdom of Jesus' early followers. Some have wondered how Jesus Christ's witnesses, you could say, stand out from, let's say, Muslims or Mormons or Jim Jones, or David Koresh followers who also died for their leader. One person said it this way, people will die for their religious beliefs if they sincerely believe they're true. But people won't die for their religious beliefs if they know their beliefs are false. What is the difference with Jesus' followers? They were eyewitnesses to it. They saw him come back from the dead. And what did they do? They were willing to die for the sake of him. What would have possessed these men and women to live so passionately, even to this day, the followers of him? What would do this? Why would Paul write later in this very chapter? He he would say this, Why have I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If I hadn't seen the risen Christ, I know I've seen him. So the answer to my first question, what is the resurrection? It's this, that Jesus came back from the dead with a glorified body. That brings me to my second question. It's this, why is the resurrection so important? Why why is this such an important integral pillar in our faith? Why do we believe that resurrection of the dead actually happens, that anybody gets resurrected. Well, go down in our text to verse 13. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. You know, there's a lot of people who just say, when you die, it's all over. There's no resurrection of the dead It's all done at that particular point. If you do not believe in the resurrection of the dead, then what this text says is that Jesus Christ actually is dead. 
And Paul follows that line of reasoning in the following verses. Look what he says now in verse 14. He says this, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are all found to be representing, uh, misrepresenting God because we testified that God has been raised, uh, that God has raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Basically says this, if we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then the whole Christian faith is a farce. We are all false witnesses. Our faith, in fact, is futile. All who believed in Christ, think of all the funerals that I have done here where the casts have been laid here and then we've taken the body and deposited it into the ground. What he's saying is this, then all those who have preceded us have perished and we are the most pitiful people in all the world if we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Paul goes on to say, and if the dead do not rise, he says, just do this. Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. He says, just, you know what? Go out and party, eat and drink, because you know what? This is all the life you're going to have. But then he stops in the middle of this chapter and says this. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. And I'll tell you this. There are many people who deny the resurrection. In Paul's day, when he's writing to the Corinthians, This was happening, look what he says in verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And no doubt there are some of you in this room today because it was true in the church of Corinth. Maybe you're here today and you're saying there's no resurrection of the dead. When we die, it's done. Well, you're just echoing what happened in Paul's day. In fact, It also happened in Jesus' day. There was a group of people that Jesus often interacted with. Their names were the Sadducees. And the Bible says about the Sadducees that they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They thought that life just ended with death. And what did Jesus say to them? He told them in Mark, he says, you are mistaken. And then he says a few verses later, you are quite mistaken. Why is the resurrection so important? If Jesus Christ couldn't conquer death, then neither can you. And you are in a desperate amount of trouble. There's no way for you to conquer death if Jesus couldn't. We're still in our sins if that's the case. All of us are headed to destruction. We have all said our last goodbyes. All the people that I have buried that I'm looking so forward to hugging one day, they're done if I don't believe in the resurrection. But Paul responds to that question. I I want you to look at verse 20. He says this, but in fact, 
Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He has resurrected. You and I have a hope. There are three types of people in this room. I would say the vast majority of you are believers. You are looking forward to the day you'll be reunited with him. You are believers in the resurrection. You believe Jesus died and he resurrected and that you're going to resurrect one day. There are some of you in this room, you are disbelievers. You're unbelievers. You don't. How in the world could that ever happen? You've never seen it happen. You are very empirical with your, your thoughts. And there are some of you in this room who are this. You're questioners. You're like, I don't know. What must you do with this information? And let me entreat you because sometimes just in one service, I mean, the spirit could work in your heart and, and awaken your mind. But let me say, if you're questioning the resurrection of Jesus, let me challenge you to do this. Would you read the historical accounts of what the Bible says? Read the gospel of John. Read it over. Read the proofs. Look at the data and ask. You say, God, if there is a God in heaven, if you are the one, if Jesus Christ is the one, open my eyes to this. And do that, I'll tell you this, I believe he will open your eyes. Genuinely do that. So we've seen two questions. What is the resurrection? Why is it important? Because it's a pillar of your faith. And you you have to believe on him. In fact, Romans 10 verse 9 says this, if you will confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He wants you to believe in him. Let me encourage you to do that. So you've seen those two questions. The final question is this, what does Jesus Christ's resurrection mean for you and me? Okay, if you believe this, what does it mean moving forward? What do I do with my life? If you're a follower of Jesus, listen to what Jesus in fact said. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, when he, when he appears to those who are now seeing him alive, and as they, went to tell, as they went to tell his disciples, this is the women, behold, Jesus met them saying what? Rejoice. So they came and held him by the what? The feet and worshiped him. If he truly has resurrected, what what is your life now to be about? I would say this, number one, rejoicing in that truth and worshiping him. Worship him. Every, Every moment of your life, your life is now in him. Live for him, rejoice in that truth. Don't let the rejoicing stop. Rejoice in the Lord, what? Always, and again I say rejoice, Think on these things, meditate on them, and hug his feet. You may not be able to hug him physically, but submit your life to him. Kiss the sun and worship him and and keep doing it. That's what your life is all about. But then what does he also say in the book of 1 Corinthians? Notice I'm just scattered. Some of you are like, how in the world is he making it through 1 Corinthians 15 this quick? Because I'm very just thematically just painting to you what this chapter says 
But then I want you to notice what he, uh, so celebrate these things, but also I would say anticipate what he's going to do to you. Look at what it says at the end of this chapter in verse, I'll begin in verse 50 and 51. It says, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the uh, imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. What's going to happen? When Jesus Christ returns, he is going to give you and equip you with an imperishable body. You're going to get that new body. I don't know, for all of you in this room, various ages, uh, I would be, of course, people would say midlife, okay? And the older I have gotten, the more broken I have realized I am. And those of you who've been around the block a couple of times, you know the older you get, the more you feel all the effects of the fall. And let me just say, it ain't gonna get any better, okay? until Jesus comes. But I'll tell you this, when Jesus comes, all of your mental breakdowns, all of your physical breakdowns, all of the brokenness of this life in a moment, in a moment is going to be changed and you will have a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. What are you to do in those in-between times? Anticipate it. The outward man is what, the Bible says, perishing. But the inward man is being renewed day by day. And as you worship the Lord and you grow in your faith, you see afar off what is coming to you. Anticipate that. It's coming. And he tells you. This is not something that you have to doubt. It's coming. Behold, he's telling you. I show you a mystery. We will be changed in a moment. And then finally, invest your life. Notice how the chapter ends. He says this in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, after he talked to you all about the resurrection, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What that means is this. Every ounce of your life that you use to live for the glory of God and to spread his name, every seed that you sow, the Bible says, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, but he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. I don't know what you're doing for Jesus now, but until he comes, everything you do for him, spreading his name, sharing his love to those who are most dear to you. What he says is because he resurrected, you can be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in that type of work, knowing this, that every bit of investment that you give in God and his people and his work, it is not in vain in the Lord. So you have hope. It's eternal. So this morning as you leave here, This is what we're going to do in just a moment, okay? My hope is that if you just read this and you heard, you sang it, you heard it, we prayed it, 
as you think about these things, the resurrection is a true factual event. It gives your faith stability. And because of that, you need to grow in your faith. Remind yourself of this. Keep worshiping him. Invest your life. Anticipate what's coming. And you do this every day until he comes. And you know, when you get discouraged about it, get back with God's people and get singing again. Okay? Don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we what? If we faint not. So let's keep at it. Let's spread the name of Jesus to all this world. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit LebanonBaptist.org.